Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 168 with my guest, Andy Niels. Andy is a steel drum tuner and builder living in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, and I come across Andy on Facebook. He has a Facebook page called Panmax Studios. And I sort of got the impression he was he's a really big advocate in addition to being a tuner, but his advocacy is really specific about unique instruments uh, built by tuners, older tuners in Trinidad, very specific hybrid instruments, things like that. And it was really fascinating, and I just wanted to talk to him. And I'm really glad I did. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with steel drum tuner and builder Andy Niels. All right, take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, let's gavel this to order. Andy Niels, I really appreciate you doing this. Am I saying your name correctly? Andy Niels, yes. Andy Niels. And um, just before we get into your your background a little bit here, um, I we've never met personally, I don't believe. Is that correct? Or have we crossed paths in Brooklyn or Trinidad. I don't think I don't think we ever met. No. Okay. Um I've been involved a lot with Kendall Williams music. Um he was a student of mine at NYU and then he sort of introduced me to the Brooklyn Panorama scene and that's how I've gotten to know a lot of the people in, in BSO and Casim and, and Crossfire and all those folks. But I've seen your name come across my Facebook feed hundreds of times in the last five or six years. <laughs> And every time you do, I'm always like, oh, man, I want to talk to that guy. I've never met him. But you seem to be someone who is uh, sort of a historian or you have a historical sort of um, conservational approach to your who you talk to and why. I feel like you do a really good job of saying, like, this is someone who built an amazing steel pan, a version of this pan that never existed anywhere else in the world other than right here in this man's home. And we are going to watch him play it and talk about it. And I love that sort of approach to history and and talking about the lineage of this instrument. So that's all I know about you. And I'm sure that's even just a very surfacey sort of scratching of of your, yeah. your of you. But um, and we're not going to get to everything in an hour here. But I'm curious, Andy, if you can just start a little bit by telling me um, a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and what what your what got you into doing what you're doing. Well, I began playing pan at the age of like 16 years old. I started in school. I went on to play with Renegades. I played there for like 20 years. So you're from Trinidad? Yes, I'm, I live in Trinidad, yes. Okay. All right, so I played with Renegades for like 20 years. We toured extensively. We went to France, to Japan, to the US, Caribbean countries and stuff like that. And then I told myself, uh, I need something more in the steel band. Mm-hmm. So... I look at the, the two fields of the arranger and the tuner, and I told myself I want to be either one of these, you know. Mm. So I started learning music along with learning to make pan and stuff like that. So I, I became a, an arranger. I arranged for like the single pan bands in Trinidad. I did about five panoramas, single pan arranger, and then uh, concurrently I was doing the tuning, you know, learning to make pan and tune pan. Mm. So when I eventually was proficient in tuning pans. I left the arranging and started concentrating on tuning only. You know, and guys would see me and they say, but I thought you was an arranger, you know? (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I, and pardon, please, Andy, and anyone who knows you, and um, pardon my ignorance on a lot of your background. Again, I, I, we've never met, and I'm just sort of discovering a lot of stuff about you. So, um, I've, I, I knew Cliff Alexis really well, and you know, in the steel pan tuning world, there's a whole bunch of, you know, there's some pretty, um, 
nominal names at the top who were sort of the fathers of this instrument, you know, Anthony Williams, Ellie Manette, Cliff Alexis. And I'm curious for you, um, who got you into tuning? What, 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 who was the person that sort of said, you can do this and I'm going to show you how? As I said, I was, I wanted to get into either the tuning or the arranging. So when I started, the, the guy who was really instrumental in, in, in bringing me into form was Lincoln Noel. Yeah. You know, when I met Lincoln Noel, I was already doing a little stuff and he kind of fine-tuned me in that kind of way. He took me to Desperados mm. and had, he had me tune the guitar pans, all the guitar pans in Desperados. You know, so that was like a dream to me, you know. <laughs> He, Lincoln, I met him, I mean, I, I met him once and it was in 2002. I was 20, I think 20 or 21 years old and I was at the University of Akron in Ohio and um, Bugsy Sharp was a guest artist at my school there and he invited me to come down and play in phase two and I played in phase two in 2002. They did do what you want and Lincoln came in and um, tuned a few of the bass pans and I remember standing over his shoulder and I had no idea I was 21 years old and was like lived in a cornfield so I had no idea who any of these people were you know and he yeah. he took a bass pan that a huge hole rusted right through the middle of it and made it sound better than any bass pan I've ever seen in my entire life and I was like oh, All right. what this man is a magician what did how did how did yeah. how does he know how to do this you know but that that was my first introduction to Lincoln as well so and, and he played. Was he a main tuner for one of the bands that you worked with? Who was he? A, Pardon me. Who did he tune? Uh, who was he a main tuner for? Lincoln. Yeah. He was the main tuner for Desperados. Okay. And he tuned, he tuned extensively with a lot of bands, you know. And so, and can you talk about a little bit as a as a kid growing up in Trinidad? So, what what town you live in Port of Spain, or where do you live in Trinidad? I grew up in Lavantil area. Lavantil, okay. And yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, always had pan, pan around. So I was always interested in playing pan, you know, but I never got close to a steel band until like about 16 years old. Really? Was yeah. there a reason you didn't? Was there a reason where your parents didn't let you? I mean, I've, I've read a lot of anecdotes about like growing up in the steel my, band as a young kid was, my, you know, not a my good parents was, My parents was kind of okay with the steel band. It's just that as a kid, I probably wasn't adventurous enough. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what do you yeah. mean? What, was there something that it scare you, or were you just like worried, or what? No, there wasn't. It's just like I always wanted to do it because I always see it, you know, from a distance. There was no pan yard close in close proximity, so you don't have to venture and go out of the area. Mm. Because Desperados was all the way from Lavantil. Desperados was way up the hill. I am from a little lower down the hill, uh. so I had to climb right up the hill. So. It was like venturing out out of my my comfort zone, you know. Well, and and um, for folks who have never been to Trinidad, I've been to Trinidad three or four times, but I've never been to Lavantil. And I know um, I now know you who lives near or lives in Lavantil, but I know um, Anthony Phillip um, Gums. I think is what people his nickname, and he lives yeah. up there as well. I think his dad is a owns a store or something, and. <laughs> Um, I've, I've never been brave enough to go up to, to Lavantil and I've, I've, uh, you know, and, but it's like, that's the home of one of the most legendary steel bands in all of Trinidad, in the world. And it's one my dream is to, to go up to Lavantil sometime and check out a rehearsal and just sort of see that vibe. But you know, mind you, as I said, I grew up in Lavantil, but I don't live in Lavantil now, you know? Oh, okay. All right. I live in Barataria now. Ah, okay. All right. 
All right. Well, if I come back, I'll still I'll still call you and say, can you can you um can we go to Lava Teal? I'll call anybody I can. Yeah, yeah, maybe yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, can you talk a little bit about just the different? I mean, growing up in Trinidad, seeing these bands um in the time when you did was sort of like um when were you born? Remind me. Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen sixty six. I mean, 63 is when the first panorama happened with Pan Am North Stars. And, and so for you as a child growing up, can you just talk a little bit about what it was like to grow up in the panorama scene at, in its infancy? But as I said, I wasn't exposed to the, the, the pan in that, kind of, in that kind of way. But I would say anytime there is panorama in the savannah, my father would have the television and the radio on. So even though you don't like pan, you will get pan. And those days, the, the preliminary used to run for like the entire day, from like 10 a.m. until like 3 in the next morning. Uh-huh. So we would, have, we would have that television and that radio, and it's pan all day, all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's and and so then you when when you were 16, what band did you join? Was it Desperados or Renegades? I was I was going down Duke Street side. And I passed through Barcelona Street, where we call it Kashaya there. And I saw some guys playing. That was syncopators. Mm. City syncopators. All right? Unfortunately, the band didn't go to Panorama that year. But I got there. I wasn't going to Pan, you know. I saw them. And I just stood there from maybe from about 6 p.m. until they finished practice about 11 o'clock that night. Without even touching our band, you know. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I was so excited. I'm waiting on the time to come back to go in the panyard, you know? So I was there, up here in the panyard again, and I'm going and I'm still in the same place by a tenor man. And the guy said, the guy made a mistake and said, look, small man, look at the sticks. So when he hand me the sticks now, I play the entire song for him. So he watched me in amazement. <laughs> he said, come, come, I'm going to teach you pan, you know? And that was it for me. <laughs> Do you know who that man was? Do you remember what his name was? I don't remember his name at all. There... Because as I said, the band didn't go panorama that year, so after about two weeks of practice, everybody just dispersed, and that was the last of syncopators. Yeah, I mean, when I, I think of my first time in, a, in, in Phase Two's yard, um, and there were there were two gentlemen who showed me the tune for the first, you know, the entire time for the first three days. There was a guy named Almond St. Rose and another gentleman, Earl Charles, um, who to- showed me the tune for three days in a row, just no note by note. And I'll never yeah. forget that song. I think I could, if I got my double seconds out now, I could probably still, still, play. still play it, <laughs> still singing note for note. Um, and I will never forget those two guys. I mean, the last couple of times I've been to Trinidad, like I've made a point to sort of like say hello to Earl. And it's like, it's, I feel like I'm right back in 2002 learning that note, that tune note for note. You know, it's, it's an experience. I feel like everybody, whether you're from Trinidad or you're a foreigner, you should have that experience because it's, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like nothing else in the world. Well, can I ask you a little bit? So you, um, I want to learn more about your tuning because I, I, when I said earlier that you you I feel like you do a good job of of historically cataloging important people in the field and they're folks that I just you know I don't know because again I came from Ohio and I have a very limited li- limited experience with a lot of the people that you do. Um, can you talk about tuning in particular and some of the stuff you've been posting recently of, of, there was a gentleman, I cannot remember his name. You were in his living room, I believe, and there were there was a whole bunch of pans. One was. Say it one more time. Yeah. And he had a humongous pan. And there was another one that had sort of the rocket, like the rocket pans from Desperados had yeah. the resonator on it. Can you just talk a little bit about 
Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that that side of your interest and sort of what why 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 do that? Why hang out in someone's house and show all these weird pans that that are being made? What what makes well, you do what that? Happened? What happened is I saw Jomom Watus. He obtained a patent in 2020, May this year. All right, and I was interested in the the um, the process in which he was going to sink hydroform hydro sinking. What is hydro? You know, so he, what's hydro sinking? That's uh, he's sinking the, the blanks with um, a machine with water under pressure. So, is it a hammer right. that's hitting the metal, or is it actual water? It's actual water. Whoa! I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. So that's rad. He just got a patent, so I didn't even get a chance to see the the actual process. Right? Yeah. I just saw. He produced like seven pans, and I saw two of them. But in his living room, he has other inventions. Of course, he's an inventor. He's been inventing since 1966, he told me. That's uh-huh. the year I was born. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so you have this, this elliptical pan, large elliptical pan. We call it a jumoline. And the one, the conical shape that you talk about, that's the venturi pan. That's like a speaker system. That's like amplifying a pan. You put your pan on that and you, there's some uh, USB port and stuff like that. You can put your music in. So you don't have to have a speaker. With this Venturi thing, you just put your pan on it and you play. Amplification. It's, it's so it nice. Has a, it like has it. a USB port? Yeah. I We need to, like, the there needs to be, like, a world organization for pan inventors, and he needs to be the president. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a steel pan with a USB. I mean, there's the e, I mean, the e-pan is something I feel like that's the thing that people, when people talk about electronics and pan or something like that, they think the e-pan really quick. But just a regular, that's amazing. I don't know. I, I need to look into this. This Jomo, is that his name? Jomo Watus. Yeah. I, need, I need to dig into him a little bit more. 85 years old, How much? 85. Well, this is this leads me to something. When you talk about you, you mentioned he's an inventor. I mean, the steel pan is an invention. I mean, it was it was invented in Trinidad, and you know, in yeah. the early 1900s through the 40s is sort of when it was de- sort of morphing and evolving into what we now call you know what's sitting behind you on those on those shelves. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that? I, it's the thing that I, I feel is glossed over a lot when we talk about the, the history of the pan. We talk, oh, it's found instruments, and it's a resourceful culture that's dealing with with um, uh, oppression and they're reacting against the the oppression. All of that is true in some res- in many respects, but the inventive, the the creativity, the the willingness, and still currently the desire to constantly innovate. To me, I think is something uniquely Trinidadian that I, I'm curious if you as a tuner can sort of talk about that. Like when you're tuning a pan, you're building something from scratch every time and it's unique. It's not the same as any other pan that's ever been built. Can you just talk about that for a second? Yeah, that, I'm not sure exactly what you want me to talk about, but I can... I can <laughs> I'm not very good at asking questions, Andy. I'm sorry. I, just yes. talk about the sort of inventive, like the way we talk about Thomas Edison and the light bulb. I would say people like Jomo or Anthony Williams or Spree Simon or Ellie Minette, Cliff Alexis, yourself, in terms of the steel pan, there's a unique, there's something unique about it. I'm just curious if you can sort of, maybe from just from your vantage point, talk about what it means to be an inventor okay. or a creator. Well, the, the steel pan is pretty young, you know, it's not even eight years old yet, you know. Yeah. So we in Trinidad, we know that the steel pan has a long way to go. So like myself, I try little inventions to 
I, I came up with a, a, a style base that I want to put on the market soon. A what base? All right. A style base. What is that? A different style base. Oh, yeah, but what kind? Like, how? But, but um, it hasn't been released yet, so oh. I can't tell you. Okay. We'll keep All it right, secret. So keep, it, keep it under wraps. In the near future, <laughs> we can do the interview and we can do it. Okay. All right, so guys like uh, Jimmy Phillip, he's an inventor also. Chomo uh, does a lot of stuff. Now, there was there was a, a, a inventors. How oh, I would say, there used to be a competition for inventions every year. Mm. Oh, in, right? in Trinidad. So, in Trinidad, yeah. Okay. But for the past twenty years or so, there hasn't been any. So that's why guys like Jimmy Phillip and Jomo and stuff like that come up with different things, and. When the, the competition passed, I mean, the ideas are still there. So the ideas still keep flowing, you know? Why do you think the competition, why do you think that sort of died off? I think it probably funded. I mean, because I think of like, I mean, if you, uh, you know, I don't know much about tech companies, but I, I know that I have, I know some people who like, they still have coding competitions. Well, they're all just get in a room and it's a sort of free for all. Like everybody's just coding and coding and coding just to sort of compete against each other. And I feel like that's, that's what you're talking about with the steel band world. Like if there was, if there was a month out of the year where we just threw every pan tuner in a factory and said, just come up with crazy stuff. Like, come up with something. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, it would be, amazing. well, where do you, where do you see the, so w- there's where Pan is like today on July 28th or whatever today is like 27th. 27th. Good. We get an extra day back where, what are you, what are you, what are you bummed about with the current sort of situation of Pan and where are you trying to take it? Where, what do you think needs, needs innovated? One of the things I am kind of particular about with the steel pan is the, how is it? Mm. The popularity. You know, I think the steel pan has been around just under 75 years or so. And half of the world don't know what the steel pan is still. Mm. Or half is being generous. You know, <laughs> maybe three quarters of the world still don't know what a steel pan is. So that's one of that is one of the reasons why I got on Facebook. And I started doing catalogs, you know, exposing different things, bringing different things to the forefront and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one thing I would like to see, the steel pan being popularized worldwide, you know? Well, I'll say in my experience, I mean, I like I said, I joke about growing up in a cornfield. I mean, I didn't choose to grow up in a cornfield. That's just where I was born, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and I was very fortunate that my my uh, high school band director, she actually, she was my, my elementary school band director, too. Her name was Joan Wenzel. She was really good with cl- friends with Cliff Alexis, and she bought the very first set of steel drums he ever built when he moved to the United States in the se- uh, in the sixties, late sixties. And they just so happened; she just so happened to move to Dover, Ohio, where I went to school, and started a steel band. And I remember being in those concerts and her saying, "How many in here know where the steel band steel drum comes from?" And like three people would raise their hand. And this was nineteen ninety four, and now the whole audience raises its hand. And, you know, even so, every once in a while, like 10 years ago, when I would start teaching, some people would be like, I'd say, where do you think the steel drum is from? And some people would say Hawaii or Texas or Jamaica or, you know, and I'd be like, and I would, yeah, they would say Jamaica. And I would say, well, 
you know, you're close. Just keep going close. south. You keep going, <laughs> keep going down. Actually, you'd be close. Go south, south, you'd be, south. Yeah, you'd be closer if you said south, if you said Brazil, actually. And they're like, what? And then I say Trinidad and Tobago. And I would say that that, that knowledge is getting more and more common. People are now sort of starting to be more aware of its origins. But, um, but I think you're right. It is still a relatively, it's, it's growing. And I, I think your, your and our, my responsibility is to just keep shining a light on it, which is what I feel, which is why I wanted to reach out to you to begin with. Cause I feel like you have a huge light and you just keep shining it on awesome stuff. And, yeah, man, thank you. and I think that's, that's, um, you know, that's important. That's kind of one of the only, it's for me, that's the best way to get it out there, especially now with social media. But there, there was a pan, I think, I don't know if it was Jomo, but it was, it was, it was a set of double seconds and they were gold and they had like these little weird it looked like little prongs on the rim around the rim and i cannot remember who built them or who was playing them and i and i, and I think it was you that posted a video about it but i could be mistaken do you remember that there was a, a, a rasta guy playing them yeah 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 what what were those pans it's a double second pan but just a regular set of double seconds a regular set yeah okay what the metal prongs they weren't did they do anything I'm not. I'm not sure if I if I if I am talking about the same we, instrument that you're speaking about. Okay, we may not be, and and I'll just we'll just <laughs> we'll just agree that I'm that I've got the wrong the wrong the wrong person on here. But um, I apologize for that. Um, so what what are you working on right now? You said you were working on a set of bass, and we'll keep that under wraps for a second. But but in terms of innovating the instrument itself, where do you feel the instrument itself needs to grow in in the way it's constructed, the way it sounds, those sorts of things. One, one of the most important things is standardization. Mm. You need to have standards. Um, just like if you if you go to, to let's say you live in Ohio, you said right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I let's lived. I grew go, up. I live in uh, Connecticut now. All right. So let's say you go to to, to Kentucky or Missouri, mm-hmm. and you don't have an instrument, and a guy say, "Hey, come on, play with us." You know, you can bring out a guitar and say, "Look, why do you play a bass guitar?" All right. You bring a bass and you can just tune it up and play. So I think the steel pan needs to be like that. If you go to, let's say you go to, to Japan and someone says, hey, you need a player for a second pan. And the guy brings a second pan and says, now my second pan is so and it's, so we need some standards, I think. Well, who do you, do you think that they're, do you think it's getting better in terms of standardization? Yes, yes, I, I really do think it's getting better. And, and, and who's, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of asking dumb questions here. So please just tell me to shut up. But like, whose responsibility do you think it is to, to demand and then also actually implement standardization? I, as a teacher, I have, I feel I have ethical, I have ethical sort of responsibilities I feel I have, but I'm just curious for you, what, who do you feel has the most power in that world to make it standard? I, I am like you. <laughs> I am just like you. I am trying to figure out as well. Who has the, the 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 power to do this? Because I be be in Trinidad. A lot of people say Panchambago. Some people say no, not Panchambago. The government. So it's just like everybody just deferring. You mm. know. Mm. Well, I, I how much responsibility do you feel like it is just for the. For the, t- I mean, I the more conversations I have with people who tune and build. Um, I mean, I work with Kyle Dunleavy in Philadelphia a lot. I don't. Do you know Kyle at all? Yes, yes, I met Kyle a couple of times. He's a really yeah, great. He's a really, much. really, really nice guy and a really great tuner and builder. Um, yes, yes. And he's talked. 
even within his layout, I mean, I've known him now for 15 years and even in the last 15 years, his lay, his personal layouts have sort of slowly landed on a certain thing where like 10 years ago, I could buy a set of his double seconds. And if I bought a set five years later, the G sharp now that was on the rim would now be in the middle because he's just, he's learned about tuning or for him, he's learned what makes the sound the way he wants it to make. And that's now been become standardized, but it's only been within the last like eight years where those layouts have now, if I bought a set of double seconds, I know exactly what I'm going to get from him. Um, and I, I wonder how, I wonder if, the, if, if we're in this pay, this space right now where tuners don't know what the standard should be because they're still trying to all figure out how the metal works best. I mean, this is a process that's going to take a long time because metal, metal, metal isn't standard. 55 gallon oil but, barrels aren't standardized yet. But you know, it's interesting that what you said, like with Kaido, no, they have something unique and different to what we have. Mm. And you know, in like in Trinidad, right? Where I practice a lot. Mm-hmm. If somebody come to me for a double second plan, they would say they want it like this. But what Kyle and probably the tuners out in the in the in the world outside Trinidad, mm-hmm. you know, somebody could say, well, somebody would probably say, I want a second plan. And you could say, all right, this is what my style is. Mm. And I recommend this. And they would probably go with it. But you know, in Trinidad, if somebody come to you, they already play a particular pattern. Yeah, yeah. And if a steel band come to you, they want to they want to replicate what they have as well. Right, right. So that's why I mentioned, you know, they have a unique I would like to do that, you know. But the the, the what you mentioned there, the note on the rim, some of those those notes on the rim would be better off inside. You know? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting. I mean, that's something. I'm glad you mentioned the 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 sort of differences between Trinidad and the in in just in my experience, the United States in terms of how tuners the 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 um uh the economy in which tuners work are just different culturally in in Trinidad than they are in the United States. In the United States, just because culturally we didn't grow up with the steel drum, I didn't grow up with a tuner living next door to me. You know, I saw a tuner once a year, and it was like a unicorn flew into town, and everybody was like, you know, whoa, the tu- the tu- yeah, the tuners here, and and that's how I met Cliff, and um, but you know, my first time being in Trinidad, and I see all the drums sitting outside, and I'm like whoa, I would never do that because if my drums got damaged, I'd have to wait a year before I got to see Cliff. And then you realize, yeah. oh, of course, Boogsy's friend lives right down the street and he can come and tune a drum if it gets knocked out of tune or whatever. Um, yeah. But also being in the home country, you know, Trinidad and Tobago, where this was invented, from the beginning, since Ellie Minette with, you know, the Oval Boys and Invaders and all, you know, those original bands, it was all, hey, can you build this for me? <laughs> you know, and like you said, we're only 80 years out from that. So just culturally, it's hard. You can't stop that train from going, you know? So like, I understand, I, I empathize with, it's interesting that you bring that up and that makes total sense to me, but um, it is something that, you know, Kyle just never has to deal with because he doesn't have a steel band down the street. Yeah. You know, he's got a school that is looking to buy a set of, band, of drums or something. Um, well, yeah. And, and I guess in Trinidad, like, can you tell me? I'm, I've heard this. I don't know if it's true, but like Renegades, for example, versus All Stars, the way their lead lines are set up, like the patterns, the pattern, the la- what's the layout of a Renegades lead pan, by and large? The original Renegades lead pan was like what they call turds, mm-hmm. but Renegades now have like ninety percent fourth and fifth. Okay, 
all the bands and trailers in Tobago now has like 90 to 99% 4th and 5th. And what about... So, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, All Stars had a, an, an original set, uh, lead set as well. They as well phasing it out, they go into 4th and 5th. Now what actually happened with these bands, right? Long ago, there was like a particular tuner for a particular band. And every tuner would have their different layout of leads. Mm-hmm. So that's why bands end up with different leads. Right, you got the invader, Des- invader style lead, you got thirds. You know, and- Desperados and Renegades have a similar style, but just like uh, two notes difference. Right. And I, is- I was talking with, uh, do you know Quent Rose? Yes, I know Quent Rose. Um, I, I did a podcast with Quent, and I was telling him, I said, you know, I, I was every time I go to Trinidad and I hear Trinidad, all, I hear All Stars play, and the whole, the whole crowd goes, bonkers when they play super high and they're just like yeah. these raging lines and i was just like why does no other band how does how can no other band get that sound and quent's like oh it's because their lead pans only go down to e flat so they have more high notes and i was like yeah oh of course like that makes so that makes total sense you've got a trans you've got an instrument that just goes higher than everybody but it didn't dawn on me that 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 every band has its own sound because its tuner builds the drums slightly differently yeah it was like that in the past but it's now coming like everyone has the same. Well, let me ask this then to play the devil's advocate. Isn't that going to kind of suck that every band is going to sound the same now? Like, isn't it kind of awesome that all stars had a, had a thing that no one else had? I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's so like, because this is, all, go ahead, sir. All stars, all stars had this unique song according to what you said, you know, and they would, they would woo you with that, you know? Yeah, and if that goes away, and, and if you go, it's like you go down south, you go to Skiffle Bunch, for example. Like that band also has a sound because of the G pans that no other band is able to get, you know. And it's you know it's different. It's not better or worse. It's just a different vibe. And if all of a sudden, like let's say Pantermego comes in and they're like, okay, we're going to standardize it. Every band is going to have the same layout, same exact drums, and we're going to put eight billion dollars to build all these drums, and tuners are going to be hired all over the country. I'm never going to weigh in on that. I, that's not my place to weigh in on. But if you asked me in private, I would say that's a terrible idea <laughs> because like we should hire tuners, but like it's going to, it consolidates the sound and makes it every band unique or uh, uh, not unique anymore. And, and, and so I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here, like to push back against a little bit, the idea that every band should be standardized because that's what makes it unique. But I'm only playing devil's advocate. So take that for what it's worth. But you know, even if everything is standard, you will still get that deviation in song mm. because each tuner has a different way of tuning. Yeah, not a different way of tuning, but everybody here is different. Totally. So some people might be comfortable with a particular song, and then a the next tuner wouldn't be comfortable with that. I don't know if you're catching me. Oh, totally, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's what what little I've sat down with Kyle or Cliff. Um, uh, there was another guy named Moon that I that I I knew in my undergrad. Like every tuner had, like you place harmonics in certain spots. So just like a, just like a piano or a guitar or anything else that's handmade, there's little there are different. There's a difference between a Les Paul and a Fender. You know, like because those two things were made by different people and with right. di- with different sort of exacting standards, but. Um, um, and they would, they would have different acceptance as well. They would accept a note at a different level. Right, 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 right. Well, um, is there any movement? I mean, one of the things that scares me a little bit, um, like when Cliff passed, or Ellie passed first, and then Cliff Alexis passed, and I, I had this, t- this tinge of 
guilt and regret that I didn't get Cliff or Ellie on the record more. Um, I had I did a podcast with Cliff and I, I'm really glad I did. It was about a, a six months before he passed. But um, for you, is there any organization to sort of, or any movement to sort of consult, not consolidate, but help tie together and, and network all of the tuners as sort of like in the way that there's Pantromego for steel band, steel bands, men and women that play and organize. <laughs> I feel like the tuners, you all are a team, but you know, you're, you're, you are the most important part of this. If all of you just decided to, or if there was some, some, some virus that came through and only killed pan tuners, steel drums would go away in about 50 years. Like, you know, so for you, can you talk a little bit about that side of things? Like what is the organization or the mindset of tuners right now and your importance in the field? So are you talking about an organization internationally or just in Trinidad? Either. Both. Oh. Maybe well, just I, maybe just start with I, Trinidad, just because that's where you are and and you know mo- more about that most about that scene. Yeah, we have we have in Trinidad uh, what we call the, the Pantunas Guild. Oh, I didn't know that. Where where we try we try to get everybody together, right? Mm-hmm. But in Trinidad, the, the the art form of tuning is much like the panorama. It's more like a competition, you know? Mm. So it's kind of difficult to get everybody to come together because everybody's still competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Because when a guy tuning for Renegades and a next guy tuning for Desperados and a next guy tuning for All Stars, the competition is, is there still, you know? Yeah. I, so I, I wish we could have a conference where we, like, let's just get a humongous convention center somewhere. <laughs> fly every steel band in the world and everybody just sets up and every tuner is there and it's a huge like football field sized room and we just hang out and talk and show each other like try to remove the the uh competition uh, well uh, yeah the competition or the fear of your your art form being stolen because that you know appropriation is a real thing thievery is a real thing and i know specifically in trinidad with regards to some organizations in the united states that I, well, I won't mention, but it's a real thing, and I understand it, and I, I totally empathize with it and get it, but I also, like Cliff, I mean, when I would have conversations with Cliff, there were things where he would be like, I will never show anybody this, and I'm like, but Cliff, you're not going to be, Cliff, you know like a secret. Come on, bro, it's me, and he's like, I will never tell anybody, and I, I was like, can I, I'll, what can I, t- uh, anything, Cliff, and I, but I, but I understand he has the he's well within his rights to have that feeling because he had stuff stolen from yeah. him and so I, I i to me like is that part of any of the equation for tuners in the united or in in trinidad is that does that enter the equation at all not just competition amongst yourself but just fear or worry about foreigners or outside yes i i think that's a major concern with tuners mm-hmm. because a lot of the tuners who has passed trinidad tuners who has passed like uh leo coca Rocky was mm-hmm. super, you know. They died with their secret, whatever secret they had, you know. And to me, I think I think that doesn't make sense at all. I want to show someone or, t- or two, three, four people everything that I know, you know. I've started I've started um, teaching four people this year, Whoa, awesome. first time. Yeah, so I'm gonna do it again probably. In two years, probably biannually or something like that. Yeah. So I'll be 
I began just last month. My son is included, but three other people. Yeah. And is your son regretting signing up for a class with his dad? <laughs> <laughs> well, my son have been telling me, Daddy, I want to learn to tune mm. for the past five years or so. And the last time he told me was sometime last year. And I said, son, don't ever tell me that again. If you want to learn to tune, just present yourself in the workshop. <laughs> that's well that's the best advice i mean there's only so much you can yeah. do before you just got it before that person has to just come in the room and and be yeah, there yeah. and pick up the hammer well and what what have you learned about i mean for, well first of all you should start like a like an institute in and you can do this online you could probably have people all over the world who sign up for like let's just do a four-day workshop of like the basics of andy neal's approach to building pan and like of course yes, no sir. i mean it's taken you your whole life no one's going to get everything in four days but That's right. if your knowledge can start getting out there, I would don't underestimate how many people worldwide you could get. You have four in Trinidad or five in Trinidad. You would have a lot if you if you got it organized and would could advertise it worldwide. I think you could do that. But, but mind you, those four people in Trinidad, they are pretty lucky because after I advertise that I have four students, I've got a lot of calls, a lot of messages. Dozens of people want to be a part of it. <laughs> that's a, well. That's a good problem to have, bro. I mean, I that's that's awesome that you're doing it. And I'm curious though for for you as a teacher now that you're like you know as, when you're studying pan building and you as you were a student of it, learning from Lincoln and and growing up. What have you learned as a teacher teaching for students who have zero, you know, like from ground? What is the thing where you're like, oh wow, I totally underestimated how hard this part of it was going to be to teach. It's something I've been looking forward to. For a very long time, you know, mm-hmm. and I will tell you this much: since I've started teaching these four people, it kind of re-educated me mm. in tune. Some so many things that I've probably forgotten, I'm now getting it back inside. You know, so it's it's even it's even sharpening me, sharpening me up now. <laughs> well, that's like as somebody described teaching to me, like as like if you you know, you are an ax, right? And your students are your stone and you're con- every time you like, you think you're sharp and you're sharper than them by and large. Cause you, you, you've been doing it your whole life, but then you get in there and you're like, Oh wow, I'm grinding up against this stone that is just blunt and doesn't know what it's doing, but you have to be sharper than you actually realize, Oh man, like this thing I've been taking for granted when you tune a harmonic or you, you look at a piece of metal and you know that that metal is flowing over time, slowly changing like water, but just like, a big block of ice that just glacially moves and changes like a pan that you build in 19, you know, 85 is not the same pan that in, in, right. in 19 or in, in 2020, you have to treat it differently. It's aged now. It's patinaed. Yeah, it's yes. got, it's got a different vibe. And, and that's something you've learned. And I think when you get up against a student who's like, Oh, I sunk it. So it's good. Right. Like all of a sudden you have to be like, Oh God, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to take you years and you're going to be on the same pan and you're going to finish it and be like, I've wasted all my time. This sounds terrible. What am I doing? Um, and yeah. so I think sharpening your ax against the student, the, the, the stone of what a student actually is, is I, as a teacher is the most revealing, the most revealing thing. Yeah. As I say, I'm getting sharper. <laughs> that's the, well, that's good. Well, let me, um, um, just ask you uh, a couple, fi- just a couple final follow up. or fi- co- Sorry. A couple follow up. Final just questions. One thing before I go on. When Please. I was talking about that, uh, Chomo Watus, that's the inventor. He invented um, the xylopan, that's with the, the tenor pan inside, and then you have like six other pans coming around. It's, 
Yeah. Kind of humor. What what I what I have um, suggested to him is that we take the xylophone out from his home and bring it where people can come. If people come to Trinidad, they can come and see it. They can come and play and stuff like that. So that's something we can look forward to. That'd be amazing. Well, it's like in the um, in the Piarco Airport. There's that huge lead pan that has the. Um, it's, oh. it's like a sculpture, you know, in, in the in the corner. Yeah. My, my wife went over and she was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" <laughs> last time we were in Trinidad together, and uh, so in, if if that xylo pan was in one of the corners, and everybody who came to Trinidad walked by that, um, I think they would get a, a real good sense of like, "Oh, I'm about to enter a country where this instrument is still being developed, where people are still like, it's not done." And there's there's something about there's something about that attitude and that approach that I just. I've always loved about Trinidad, but in pan tu- with pan tuners in particular. Um, so yeah, put it in the airport. That's my first, or somewhere where everybody has to walk by yes, it. I yes. think is is the goal. Um, well, let me wrap up here. So we're kind of in this. the The weird thing for me with this current COVID mess and the lockdowns and the travel restrictions now is that the last thing I did in public was my bandmates and I came to Trinidad in February and we played with Skiffle Bunch and. So for me, the the irony of like the last thing I did in in the world was carnival, and then I went home and was locked down for the last six months. It's been this really weird sort of like yin and yang of life, like to be in the most social environment possible of carnival in Trinidad, and then to go to being locked down. Lockdown. <laughs> um, and I now I'm having these like you know Brooklyn Panorama and carnival is canceled here. Um, I'm starting to have this deep anxiety about whether or not Carnival in Trinidad is going to be canceled, whether Panorama is going to be canceled. Am I going to even be allowed in the country, <laughs> you know, if I try to fly there? Um, can you just uh, – what are your thoughts moving forward? Like this is an interesting moment in the history of humanity, but this is also a time – if you look back at old his, other history, in times of incredible limitations, out is usually out of which incredible things come. And I'm curious for yeah. you, what are the – what are some things that you 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 see – growing in the fridge right now of humanity that you think in a year we're going to, we're going to, um, that we're going to see and, and, and see for the better. In terms of the steel pan, I can say based on uh, the Facebook and stuff like that, we see a lot of, of uh, new faces mm. or faces that we haven't seen before people coming out and playing and stuff like that. So I think that's one of the things we will see in the future. We'll have a, uh, Better players because people have the time now to practice. Mm. They, they saw the um, the panorama they just finished, and we saw Andre. How Andre? That was insane. Stuff. All of that was insane. The whole <laughs> that whole panorama thing, like to me, that was just like when I saw that happen. I was just like, yes, like yeah, we're gonna be yeah, okay. Yeah. We're gonna be okay. That was awesome. Yeah. So we have a lot of people now practicing to to probably come and. Challenge Andre. So we, we have, <laughs> he's got a tar- he's got a target on his back have, now. You better watch out. <laughs> we have better better players, and um, the panorama is something. I don't know if it'll happen in twenty twenty one. We may probably have a scale long version of the carnival, maybe no visitors and stuff like that. Mm. But I think after the whole thing, we're gonna have something blossom and nice, according to what you say. Yeah, I. I, I'm curious to see when 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 Panorama or Carnival is opened back up, the desire people have had for that sort of camaraderie, that sort of celebration, bands getting together to rehearse for months on end. Like, 
Uh, I'm very curious to see how humans – I think we're going to come out of the gates pretty hot, and I think there's going to be some panoramas that are going to be written that will blow the doors off of the old styles. Like, yeah. like I'm really curious to look at look to people like, of course, like younger generation of folks like you know Kendall, Mark, Odie, um, Mia. Like, there's a bunch of folks who are young of young, younger generations. Yeah. But I'm really curious to look at like Leon Foster Thomas and Bugsy and some older folks who I think this is going to make create some new stuff from them too. And that's that. I'm really, I'm just really psyched. I'm really excited to see how yeah. those geniuses. Because this art form, like you said, is only 80 years old. So the Mozarts and the Beethovens of the steel band world are alive still. They're going to the store right now in Trinidad. And so they're dealing with this stuff just like you and I are. And I'm just fascinated to see where what comes from it, you know. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice to have a – you remember the Pan is Beautiful? Yeah. It would be nice to kick off with one of that, you know. Yes, to have those classic music again on Pan. Yeah, I mean it's uh, we're we're in a real glut here, I, and I, I I think there's going to be a lot of really good stuff, and I, I miss it all. Um, but Andy, I'm going to let you go. We I took way too much of your time already this morning with a uh, with a uh, with with Zoom mess, and I would love to. Um, I the invite for anybody who's who's a guest on the podcast is always open. So if there's anything you ever want to talk about, or you, when you want to reveal your new base, um, I would love to have you back on the podcast just to talk more. I think, I think you're an important voice and I'm really glad that I reached out to you. Um, and I want people to hear you talk about stuff that is happening in Trinidad more often, because I think that is an important part of history and the way history should be taught is by the people who are actually sitting in the chair right now in Trinidad talking to those right. people. So keep doing that. I appreciate it. I personally appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. Well, where before I let you go, where can people find out specifically? Do you have a website for what you do? Is there a place where people can go, like uh, your Facebook page, anything? Facebook. There's my uh, my Facebook page is Panmax Studios on Facebook, mm-hmm. and of course you can catch me at my uh, Facebook page, private Andy A Niels. So you can oh. contact me. On- Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell people to, to, to look up your page. And um, man, again, I appreciate your time so, so much. And I hope the next time I'm in Trinidad, which I hope is this February, um, I will come knock on your door and we'll, uh, we'll meet and hug. Come on, anytime, man. We'll meet and hug in person, okay? We can have a drink something. We could probably go on the avenue. I would love a white oak and coke. A white oak and coke and a bacon shark would absolutely make my soul right right now if I could right. if I could pull that off. But well, Andy, thank you so much. Take take care and be be well and stay safe and healthy, okay? All right, brother, you too. All right, thanks, Andy. Okay, this podcast was brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com, down in Waco, Texas, run by Todd Meehan. Uh, Todd teaches at Baylor University and runs an amazing website called liquiddrum.com. Hilarity, great education. Check him out. Also, Dunleavy Pans. Kyle Dunleavy builds and tunes all of the steel drums I perform and teach on, both in sole percussion and at Princeton and NYU. Kyle's amazing. Check him out. DunleavyPans.com. D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y-Pans.com. Also, if you want to learn more about pans, advocacy, steel drum, history, things like that, check out a Brooklyn-based organization called Pan and Motion. And you can find them at paninmotion.com. Trisha, Jerry, Arisha, and Kendall all run an amazing organization down there. Check them out, paninmotion.com. And finally, I have a bunch of steel drum shirts. I don't know if you've seen them on any of the podcast 
podcasts, but I'll try to sort of demonstrate them more prominently moving forward. They're made by a gentleman in Brooklyn named Aliandre Mirage, and he is amazing. He has a company called Mango Chow, and you can find them on Facebook. That's Mango Like the Fruit Chow, C-H-O-W. Okay, hope you're doing well. Take care, stay safe, and uh, be kind to each other. Talk to you soon. Bye.